all my friends who stay in the shadows that do the job. So yeah, I always say that there's two deans. I had um, I was on a call a couple of weeks back with one of the head of stations for the CIA, and he said, "I've just googled you. You're a cyclist." I said, "Yeah." I said, Look, there's, there's two. There's, there's two. There's two people out there. There's the one that the world sees, and there's the one that the world doesn't need to see. Yeah, that's right. Well, we all have we all have different faces we wear at different times. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a, there's a there's a great show back in the UK when we were young kids. It was called Wurzel Gummidge, who was a scarecrow, and basically he just changed his heads. You know, what I mean, it was, it was a different character. So that's pretty much me. So, are you getting some time with the family as well? Yeah, where where I can, you know, just trying to find that yin and yang balance, you know, as you know, um, you know, if, if sometimes you get so focused on work and then you, something is going to be compromised, which is normally your family life, which comes first, uh, yeah. which gets compromised first. So I'm always conscious of that. And my wife, who pretty much manages me, she makes sure that that balance is maintained. It doesn't sort of tip one way over the other. But we've got um, our third child at eight week, eight week old she is. So, um, That's right. yeah. Where I can, I can as much as possible stay here. But, you know, where, where work permits, you know, I still have to travel, unfortunately. Yeah, it's the same here. It's it's funny because any sort of, I, I think it's our type of guys, right? Our, our Typically, our number one priority is our family, our family and our kids. Yeah. And then, but we'll get sucked into the world of operating or work or whatever you want to, you know, the new operating, you know, I say operating, mm -hmm. but it's really just your job, right? What you do, yeah. but you, you, we take it the same way because we only know one methodology of like doing things. Yeah. yeah. And of course that's the first thing, your first priority is always the first thing that suffers, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's normally, normally those closest to you that suffer, but it, it is, it's like you, you come from the military backgrounds and it's 100%, you, you, you give yourself to everything. And it's different when you're in the military because you have to go away because it's, it's part of your job. It's more difficult when you're choosing to go away. <laughs> so yeah. for me, for me, like I said, your, your, your family is your number one priority. So for me, it's always to make sure that my family are, are fed, they're clothed, they've got a roof over their head. So sometimes I sort of forget about, I just get so fixated on covering that and actually, yeah. sometimes they actually they're like, no. Actually, if you come home for a bit, it would be it would be it would be nice. There was a situation. <laughs> there was we a situation. Really, we don't really care about all of that. We just want you here so we can go on bike rides and adventures together. Exactly, and and so also uh, uh, cognitive of the fact that when I am home, it you know they get my attention as well. So try and limit limit time on 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 uh, technology. But there was a period in my life in 2014 where. I'd only been home 21 days in a 365 day calendar. And um, I'd just come back. Um, it was when I evacuated the Canadian embassy out of Libya. And I'd just come home from that trip. And I was literally, you know, just laundered my clothes and got the bag ready to go, go away again. And my wife uh, washes all my clothes and one of the shirts had blood on it. And she's like, you know, why is there blood on your shirt? And I'd explain that I, I, I was actually administering first aid at a road traffic collision on the on the border of Tunis and Libya. Mm -hmm. So I told her about that and told her I just evacuated the uh, the embassy, 18 military and four diplomats. But it was almost, our, as I've just told you, it was almost like a throwaway comment. And my wife was like, have you heard yourself? Um, it, you know, it was so nonchalant. She said, "You, I was disconnected from society. What I thought was normal 
wasn't normal. And I was on my own in Yemen, Somalia, just so focused yeah. on on building the business and getting money in. When in fact, my wife, very successful herself, said, "We actually don't need to be going away. This is your choice." So that was the um, that was when the pin dropped. And actually, the conversation is chapter sixteen in my book, which is called "Dead or Divorced." Um, you know, if I continue that that at that pace and taking those risks, I would either be dead, dead or divorced. And that's where we sort of really had to sort of look at, look at the yin and the yang. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and unfortunately, if we don't have a good woman to kind of smack us to the side of the head, we will just drive that train yeah. all the way to the end. I mean, yeah. how, and how can you have a relationship by doing that job like that for so long? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Like you said, like you're not even there. You're not there. How yeah. do you have a relationship? Yeah. No, it's, at, some point, it's at some point it's got to end. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, I, you know, I'm very thankful that my wife sort of, uh, or my wife does, she manages, she manages me. She did understand that when I left, cause when I left the special forces, I got injured. It wasn't my choice. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I want to sort of maintain that sort of, and that's what it was. I was trying to match the adrenaline rush that I had when I was in the special forces without actually coming to terms with the fact that I'd left. But she knew that if she, told me that she, I, she wanted me home more often i would probably resent her for it and just push even even faster so she yeah. sort of gave she gave me that she gave me that rope and i nearly hung myself and then pulled <laughs> then pulled me back in and then but she knows that i need to be i need to have a focus although i'm home i need to have something i could uh, in the future that i'm planning for um you know to stay physically and mentally engaged so she's she understands it um but she sort of manages that a bit more yeah so we actually, for those who listen, uh, Dean and I met on a project. Um, I don't know if it's going forward, but we got we met on a project. I think we absolutely crushed it. I thought we were going to be the best team. Yeah. yeah. And I and I got I didn't get selected for the project. I think because this is basically what they told me. I was a little too political. They were looking for somebody a little more apolitical. Oh, I was really? too opi- I was too opinionated. And I do have some <laughs> strong opinions, um, especially after the last two years in, in America. And, uh, anyways, so we, unfortunately I didn't get to get to work with them there, but we got to meet and became friends and, you know, we'll, mm. we'll, I'm sure we'll connect in other ways, uh, in the future, but you actually are on a show in Australia, right? I, yeah, I, I was on a show in Australia. So the show originated actually back in the UK in 2015. Right. Um, so I, I, I got injured out of the military in 2011. I mean, in 2015, I, I received a, an email from a guy called Andrew Slater. And he says, yeah. look, um, we're looking at the, the, the concept of this show. Uh, would you be up for a meeting? So I, I met with him. He flew up to Aberdeen in Scotland and we sat down and, you know, he sort of told me the concept of the show. It was, it was at the time was called Selection. And what they yeah. wanted to do was get some civilians and sort of, push them through a compressed selection process. You know, our selection is six months, but they wanted to do it in 14 days. Um, and said, look, your name keeps coming up. Would you be interested? So so for me, I, I always, I was always conscious uh, of the fact that I need to protect the special forces group. Um, and so, and at the time as well, I was smuggling people across borders, doing evacuations. I was doing a lot. Yeah, you, were still, you were still working for your company, right? I was still working for my company and I was conscious yeah. that I didn't want to sort of put my head above the parapet because for us, the world of media, it was almost like frowned upon within the group. But there was a, there was a show back in the nineties called SAS. Are you tough enough? And it was a train crash. It was horrendous. And so I always, <laughs> I, had didn't, that. I didn't know, I didn't know about that one. 
Yeah, yeah. A guy called Eddie Stone um, was on it. And, um, and Dermot O'Leary is actually a famous civilian pre- uh, presenter. He, he was, it was one of his original shows. But it was a train crash for the Special Forces group. And so I was always conscious of that. And I thought, yeah. you know, I'm not too sure. But there was a couple of my friends. You know, one of my friends had just come out, of, unfortunately, just come out of prison. Um, he was struggling for work. There was a couple of other guys who had post post-traumatic stress so because they had post-traumatic stress they couldn't work in the security industry so they were they were on hard times if if, um if if that makes sense and so i said look well let me reach out to them so i reached out to them and i said look i am interested but it needs to be cleared through the ministry of defense Mm -hmm. so i i wrote a letter to the ministry of defense made them aware within a week i got a letter back when i was in libya basically saying step away from this project which i did I, i respected what they asked for and I was busy, as you know, you mentioned on other yeah. projects. But the guys, the other guys, you know, they took it and they they ran ran off with it. It became the biggest show in UK on Channel Four right. in ten years. And because of the success of that, you know, they've now got really high profile figures. Um, and then, you know, I got asked to do season two, and I, it was the same response for me. But more recently, it went to Australia, and um, and we'll talk about probably my bike ride project, which I did. Yeah. So my yeah. bike ride project sort of put my head above the parapet so i was no longer in the shadows but yeah so when let's let's hmm. let's pivot to that real quick because that's a yeah. that's a pretty badass story by yeah. itself so yeah you used to decide you're not so first of all <laughs> dean's not a cyclist <laughs> yeah not a cyclist yeah, well, I, mean, I guess you, you are now but you weren't at the time yeah yeah that, that was it i just it was, it was, it was actually that conversation alana and i had had um, called dead or divorced. Um, I'd, I'd come back from that, and Alana's like, "You don't need to be doing this. You know, come stay at home." And Alana was yeah. a successful property developer, but this period was five years after I I, I got injured out of the military. So my my injured leg now was two kilos lighter than my my good leg because of the muscle wastage. I've, I'd spent mm. I've been so fixated on on work and keeping myself busy, I'd neglected my own sort of physical and mental well being. Is is the injury? You discussed the injury in the new book? The injury is in the new book, yes. Yeah, the injury is okay. in, in, in the new book, yeah. And so, so I, Alana's like, you know, come work with her, which I did. And I just bought a, a push bike off Amazon. You know, I call it push bike, you call it a bicycle. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you don't push it, you actually ride it. And, um, <laughs> I, I, and, and the office was about eight miles away uh, and back. But just being physically active again, not, not like yeah. gym work but actually getting the lungs going, the, the cardiovascular, I felt like there was a huge weight off my shoulders. But you can imagine with my backstory and what I'd just done, I wasn't, you know, I was sat in these meetings and, I, you know, Alana could see that glaze and said, right, you need to do something. So I always, always as a young boy, we used to get at Christmas, the Guinness Book of Records. And I used to always be so fascinated at all these amazing achieve, achievements uh, that people would do around the world. And so, so it was something I'd always always remembered and I said well I wouldn't mind doing a world record and my wife said well what in and I said well well cycling seems to be good and it's not hampering my injury um there's probably there's probably easy ones like eat 12 Ferrari Rochers in a minute um (laughs) so um (laughs) so I uh I said well cycling seems to be good and I'd only cycled 20 miles maximum at this point and my wife then found the world's longest road which runs from southern Argentina to Northern Alaska, which is 14,000 miles over two continents. And so I joke when I say she clearly wanted me out of the house at this point, you know, to, to find that challenge for me. But for me, 
the attraction to that challenge was there was countries I'd never been to before. I was covering all sorts of temperatures and climates from plus 120, uh, uh, so plus 47 degrees centigrade, which I know, I don't know Fahrenheit, to, to minus 18 uh, and everything yeah. in, in between. And so, you know, uh, it, it sounds arrogant, but I haven't only cycled 20 miles. I applied for the world record and, you know, Guinness came back and said, yes, you've been successful on your, your application. So I, I knew from what I'd achieved in the military that I had the sort of, I had the mindset and I had the endurance. I just needed yeah. to do it. I just needed to channel that into a new discipline or sport. Right. Right. And when was this? So I set off on February, 2018, but the, the planning and everything probably started about 18 months before. Um, so right. when, when Guinness came back and said, you've been successful on your application, the original world record was 126 days. It was now 117. It already been beaten during that period of time that I was applying. Um, my wife and I do a lot in the philanthropy uh, sector, especially with, with veterans. And so I wanted to do, I now had the challenge, but I needed to do it for a campaign. I needed something to keep, get me motivated to get up every morning and train. You know, if you're doing it for yourself, it's, it's a bit more difficult. But train, yeah, because you're training for an op, uh, an operation. That's it. Like now, we had an now, you, now you have a new operation that you're, that you're prepping for. So it's like, that's all it is. That's your singular focus. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So uh, a good friend of mine is is old Prince Harry, you know, uh, the Duke of Sussex. He he and I met 15 years ago on a JTAC course. And we'd done a lot of stuff uh, behind the scenes in charity. You know, he'd come to a lot of the special forces events um, that I was doing or had a table. Uh, I had an intelligence fusion cell based in Mozambique and Tanzania. So I would identify the smuggling routes for the ivory going from the continent of Africa to the Far East. And so him and I would meet every few months in London and I would sort of disseminate that information. So we had done stuff prior to this, but never in the public public eye. So I rang him yeah. up and I said, look, I'm going to cycle the world's longest road. You know, what, what campaign should we do it for? And him and his brother and Kate uh, at the time, this is 2017, um, were just about to launch a campaign uh, on mental health. It's called Heads Together. Uh, but it wasn't just the military. It was everything from postnatal depression, young children, teenagers, all the way through. And, and for me, I didn't really know much about mental health. I'd seen it firsthand with some of my friends, but I wasn't aware how big a, an issue throughout the whole of society. And so really it yeah. did open my eyes. And I thought, perfect. That's the, that's the campaign um, that we'll do for this challenge. But I then had to think of a message. You know, what was the messaging? And I hadn't really thought of any messaging i just did it because harry told me to come in the room and it was like so i sort of sort of sat on it looked internally and i said well physical activity helps your mental state you know and i was actually i was actually then challenged and told that i couldn't use it because it hadn't been scientifically proven but i was like i don't need a scientist to tell me that i feel good when i train and so ignored them anyway and carried on banging that drum and now you know, five years on is recognized as one of those coping mechanisms. So we had the, we had the campaign, we had the challenge and I set a target of a million pounds and I now had to had just over a year to get myself in, in, in shape. And then you kicked off. Where did you start again? So I started off in um, Tierra del Fuego, Ushuaia, at the very bottom of Argentina. But when I was doing my, my research, you know, I was buying magazines, I was reading everything I could on cycling, because it evolved so much when I was 
a young boy in a BMX. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? There's a lot, yeah. there's a lot, a lot more gone into it now. And there's a lot of science around training and things like that. But for me to put the plan together, I wasn't getting the the information I really needed to make um, uh, a definitive plan. And so I actually reached out to the previous record holders and they were very, you know, what really surprised me is how open they were in sharing their information. So, you know, what wow. all I did was I just, yeah, I just took all I knew from the military and just dropped, I know I just took a military set of orders, put it on this project and just crossed out ammunition. And so I did my planning from that. But the, you look at, um, and it may be the same in, in, in your, in the, in the U S it's like when we come off the ground, whether it's on operations, whether it's on exercise or, or whatever serial we've just done, you know, we would have a hot debrief before you go away and do anything. And, and it's three simple questions. It was what worked, you know, what didn't work. And if we were to do that again, what would we do differently? So I yeah. asked those three questions to the previous record holders and all their issues, they started in Alaska. But all their issues were in South and Central America. So I was like, well, why take a gamble with the second half of the challenge? You know, why not address those issues early if we're going to have any issues? And then at least when I get into North America, I know that everything's behind me. I and mean, when we have, you, you know, if you're on, if you're behind target, you can make it up. If you're ahead of target, then perfect. And so that was what, that was my decision process to, to start from the south and, and go and go north you know everyone's that way you're going uphill but <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's it's um it's kind of like you know if you have to eat a eat a frog right which which frog do you yeah. eat first the big one exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it was it was eating the big frog it was south america and there was there was a point i remember you telling me in that down there in south america somewhere that you kind of hit a wall there was some there were some frustration points that you hit um before you got out of there, right? Yeah, so the you know we, I moved the challenge forward a month um, be, uh, because we were all ready ready to go. Um, I had a big event in London, and I was just going to fly straight from there. You know, for me, it's like I didn't want to go. I didn't want to say goodbye to my kids for a week, come back, and, you know, confuse them and fly off again. And so, moved the whole project forward a month. Moving it forward a month, you know, we were all ready to go, but the on the logistics side, the the shipping container was stuck in Chile. I hadn't made Argentina. And so my support team were like, well, we can't go until we've got all the kit. And I just, you know, I went out for a, a ride for a couple of hours and I made an assessment on the ground. I said, well, we have enough kit to go. And so decided to set off straight away with half, you know, less than half the kit and the rest of the kit caught us up. So that was the first logistics issue. You know, we then had I then had strong winds. I had 50 mile an hour crosswinds. I never experienced anything like it. I lived in Aberdeen, which is the equivalent of Chicago. Um, but these yeah. winds were relentless. And um, so, yeah, there was, the, there was the nature that was just throwing everything at us. But after a week, you know, the, the weather subsided and, and, you know, I was I was on, on the point where I should be. You know, just for the listeners, the, the wheel record at the time was 117 days. And then when I was doing all the planning, there was a lot of things that are out of our control, you know, be it natural disasters or coups and things like that. So if we encountered any of them, I didn't want that to affect my target. So I had a target of 110 days. I, you know, as we call in the military fudge, I gave myself that fudge <laughs> of, yeah. of a week. Um, so by the end of the first week with the strong winds, I was only I was 39 miles behind target, but my target was still a week ahead of the world record. And then from, and from then on, the, you know, the weather, the weather changed and, and it was all all in in my favor. So from a psyching perspective, 
it was a great decision. You know, the winds had tailwinds in Peru. Although I got food poisoning, I crashed the bike and got knocked off the bike. These are all things you expect on a challenge like this. Um, it was it was in my favor. But from a logistics perspective, you know, if we'd gone from Alaska to Argentina, you could get the vehicle from A to B as long as you cross the Darren Gap. We were having to swap the vehicles every border crossing, um, which was starting to slow us up. And so to eliminate that, we decided that we would buy an RV and a 4x4 from Fort Lauderdale. It would get shipped to Panama because the South America World Record started in Ushuaia and finished in Cartagena. You can't cross the Daring Gap without flying over or, or sailing across. And so the, the next phase would start in Panama City. But we could get a vehicle from Panama City all the way to Alaska. So the decision was to purchase these vehicles and have them there. I was in Ecuador and my wife rang me and she told me that the vehicles hadn't been loaded onto the shipping container and they were still stuck in Fort Lauderdale. So um, thankfully for me, my wife, who was the campaign director, you know, she had foresight and her, my PA and two of my friends flew out and they drove the vehicles from Fort Lauderdale 4,000 miles in eight days to Panama City. Holy uh, shit. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I broke the world record in the morning in Cartagena, eight. I mean, I was on the noon flight. An hour later, Alana and the team just handed over the keys and, and we were off again. So, you know, the real importance. I was going to say, how'd you, how did you cross the Daring Gap? What, you, you just flew over? Just flew over, yeah. You fly okay. over. It's part of the record. You fly over and, and you start off from Panama City. Um, but the sort of the importance of that was the team that no one sees behind the scenes that makes it happen you know as you see you know we have all these all these famous people you see doing great stuff and i know for a fact they would never be able to achieve it a if they didn't have the support of the family or have a great network yeah. around you you know for our uk special forces for every operator to jump out a plane step off a helo you know go diving take seven other people you don't see and and that was the similarities in this project as well is that you know People would have seen me on the bike doing the social media post and putting the miles in. But if it wasn't for that additional support and effort, it would never have been achievable. Was there a point that you mentally kind of hit a wall to where you're like, oh, man, this is getting exhausting. I'm like, I'm tired. Mm. Physically, no. Mentally, yes. You know, I... I, you know, I thought when I did the, the world record, um, applied for the world record, there's no distinction between supported and unsupported. And I thought, well, I will have a support team. The more I have, the better. But the more people you have, you know, sometimes brings issues with it. You know, you've got yeah. more welfare issues and stuff like that. You know, I had to send the, the medic home on day 13 because he was bullying the documentary team. And you're like, this is a mental health campaign and I'm, I'm dealing with these issues. So the actual bike ride was easy. You know, I say the bike ride was easy because I was on the bike and I, I just knew what I needed to do for that day. And it was it was all un, in my control. You know, if I didn't get yeah. there, it was my, my fault. It was when you're coming off the bike I mean, you're dealing with with issues and egos and people want to put social media posts. And it's just like, oh, it, it, it was it was annoying. But even to the fact that the the charity heads together as well, you know, yeah. I I broke the first world record. And two days later, I'm in Panama. Uh, sorry, uh, just outside Panama, and they still haven't even put a social media post up. You know, my PR team are like, this guy is raising a million pounds for you. He's just smashed the South America wheel record by 10 days. You haven't even put a tweet up. So it's actually, yeah. 
it's dealing with all that stuff in in in, in the background you know mentally i knew i was gonna you know as i touched on before i was only a week i was only 39 days behind target you know from then on i was i was always ahead so yeah. i you know i didn't think i wasn't going to do it it's just the man in which we did it and who was still going to be with me at the end at the end yeah um, finish line. yeah and the um you know and, and i always tell people as well that are doing their challenges you know for me i always made sure that i was on target at the end of the day you know, I made sure I hit the target I needed to be hitting that day because, you know, some people I see that they're like, oh, well, I'm 10 miles behind today. I'll catch it up tomorrow. But you don't know what tomorrow is going to throw at you. And you could be another 20, 30 miles behind. And then mentally it starts eating you up. So for me, I knew if I hit the target, when I go to bed at night, I'm nowhere I'm, I should be. And from then on, I, I was always gaining. So there was never any doubt there. It was just managing all all the background noise, as, as, I, as I say, but, yeah. but the, you know, the world record was 117 day, uh, sorry, 117 yeah, days. I was aiming for 110. I got into North America on, on day uh, 70 and I was 14 days ahead. And I'm like, perfect. You know, uh, you know, the world record is well. Did, in you, did you slow down or did you just keep that pace all the way through? Well, here's where it changes. Everything changes. So I, I, I get in and I get into North America and I'm thinking about the previous record holders. They've told me all their issues are behind me. And I don't know what it was when we got into North America. I don't know whether it was because, you know, the language, you know, it was almost like a war RV. I'd been on Escape and Evasion and I'd hit the war RV. I didn't yeah. know whether it was the culinary options, you know, food was better for us or, or not. I wasn't, I wasn't too sure what it was, but it was almost like a huge sense of relief getting into North America. And I got, um, I got in there. I mean, within um, an hour of getting into uh, Del Rio, I came in through Del Rio and I had five missed calls off my wife and my wife being the campaign director was keeping all those distractions away from me. So for her to call that many times, it, it was serious. And so I straight away just, worried about the kids jumped off grabbed the phone i said is everything okay and she said yeah yeah it's fine i said but you know what do you wear what would you wear to a royal wedding i said sorry she said what would you wear to a royal wedding and i said what are you on about and she showed me the screenshot we've been invited to she just received an invitation to harry and megan's wedding which was nice and so i thought oh that's good she goes no you don't you don't understand she goes for you to get back in time for this wedding you need to be in prudhoe bay by day 102 so going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. 10 minutes later, I'm now a day behind. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. So, so yeah, I... And, I it's not like you, you, and it's not like you can go, sorry, mate, <laughs> not going to make it. <laughs> well, whatever happened, she was going anyway, whether it was yeah. with me or, or not. So, so yeah, I, I had planned on maybe taking the foot off the gas and, and, and doing that. And I, then I got into Lubbock the next day and we had 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes. And so I was now two days behind because you know, I had another 24 hours there. Back in South America, because of the security situations, you know, I was cycling from first light to last light. You know, it wasn't safe to cycle at night. The luxury I had in North America was I could cycle at night, you know, so I could yeah. gain a lot of that time. So there was, there's an app called windy tv which i was using throughout the whole project and it's very popular with sailors it gives you the strength and directions of the winds forecasting for the next you know two weeks and it's about 95 percent accurate and it, hour by hour you can see how the winds are changing 
And so for me to get out of Lubbock, I had to cycle 340 miles in 36 hours to miss the next weather window, which I did. And so I just played chess with Mother Nature. The majority of my cycling was actually done in the evening. So the amount of uh, highway patrolmen stopping me two or three in the morning, just, just asking what I was doing. <laughs> no, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Um, but I also use it to my advantage. I, I got to um, Cheyenne in Wyoming picked up a beautiful tailwind like 270 miles in 11 hours cycling you know you know like a wingsuit on um and actually the irony you know we talk about the security situations and all the issues the previous record holders had the only issue we had was um was actually in the states one of the uh, support wagons got broken into in colorado springs so where we thought mm -hmm. all the uh, all the issues were back um, in the south it actually it was there so i got into I had 17 days originally planned for North America. I cycled in 11 and a half days um, and I caught that time up. And so I was like, perfect. I then get to a town called Whitehorse and, I, and I'm yeah. in, I'm sat, sat there in McDonald's and I am, you know, I'm burning nine to 12,000 calories a day. So I'm unshamelessly just eating anything I can. Um, <laughs> and I was just sat there and on high, high performance, high performance <laughs> fuel, right, Dean? Um, interesting. Yeah. We're talking about nutrition. <laughs> you know, I was approached by all these brands, you know, you know, these sporting brands. Yeah, of course. Use this. And, and for me, I'm, I started cycling at the age of 40. I'm very old school. I was like, I, I did, I'd never used gels before and things like that. And I just, I'm old school. It was, it was a, you know, it was apple, it was bananas. It was, but by yeah. the end of it, yeah. any, anything that you could get your hands on, but but when you're down in southern Argentina, it's very easy to say this is your nutrition plan. It's whatever's available. Down there, it was like ham and cheese or cheese and ham baguettes. That was it. So <laughs> it was whatever I could I could get access to. So, yeah, yeah we're in this McDonald's and uh, a friend messages me and he said, look, have you seen this guy? He was a professional cyclist. You know, he's already got three other world records. Red Bull sponsored him. He's got all the all the all the gear. Uh, he'd come out on social media that day and said that he was going to cycle the Pan American Highway in August and be the first man to do it under 100 days. So for me, I was like, great, because every time I thought I'd hit my objective, my objective kept moving. The target kept yeah. moving. So yeah. for me, I, I, I could have just carried on cycling, smashed the world record. But I thought, well, what if I do push it? Am I able to become the first man ever under 100 days? And so, yeah, I cycled for 22 hours in the last 30 hours, minus 18, just to make sure that I came in in 99 days, 12 hours and 56 minutes. So it wasn't the original plan. It's just how how the project just kept changing as I, as I was going. Every time I hit the objective, it kept moving. But for me, I sort of, you know, on reflection, if I'd known about the Royal Wedding, if I'd known about this guy from day one, you know, would I have taken five days rest? I probably wouldn't have. I may have burned out. You just don't know. You just don't know yeah. what you could have achieved. And in the middle, it may have been too overwhelming. But for me, thankfully, yeah. I was in a position that I could act on it. Yeah, it was just a constant adjustment. Like, okay, this exactly. happened, solve a problem. Yeah. This happened, solve a problem. That's it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I tell people, I tell people, that, you know, you know, when I do a lot of the guest speaking, the importance of this was having a plan. Yes, have a plan. As we yeah. know, the plan doesn't survive first contact. Um, the success of this was actually being reactive to the situation changes on the ground. Yeah. And, and I think that came from my time in the military is like, of you know, you know my, one my, yeah, one of my sergeant majors, when there was ever a situation, his first thing was that, is anyone dying? 
And if it's no, there's nothing we can't do over a cup of tea. And and so that's what it is. It's just change, just change the plan. You know, I can't. You can't control the uncontrollables. You know, just how are we gonna? How are we gonna get there? You know, the start point's always the same. The finish point is always the same. The route there is never gonna be exact. If I did it again, it would be totally different. Excellent, man. Well, that's it's all. That's a huge accomplishment. Has it been broken since you? Yes, he uh, he he. Um, Michael went off and he he broke my world record. But I met him in uh, Vienna. I was on a bike ride between Vienna and Prague, and he said, "Yes, but you are the first man in history. I wanted that legacy, and you took it." But for me, you know, I'm not a cyclist. I did it to prove a point. I dipped my toe into yeah. the cycling world and dipped out. You know, this is what he does for a living. So he's like. You know, he's now trying to find a, another big challenge. Whereas for me, I'm like, well, I'm going to go find another sport and yeah. uh, try, maybe upset that community. Yeah, because when you, if you guys look at Dean like in person, you're like, you don't look at him and go, yeah, he's definitely a cyclist. <laughs> so yeah. it's not, you're not quite built, quilt built yeah. like that. But it's impressive as hell, as man, what you did. It just shows it just shows the power of the mind and what the mind can do if you're if your mind is strong and and you've got some uh, yeah. if you can plan and preparate, um, then you're going to be successful. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's believing that you can do it. You know, I actually had yeah. a, um, originally when I was reading all those magazines, I got introduced to this cycling coach who was like the guru, you know, he, he had his own column in a, in a bike magazine. And, you know, I started off with him, but I didn't like his attitude. He was like, oh, you know, we need to get this in. Otherwise we're doomed. He was using words like doomed and stuff like that. And so I just dropped him. I didn't care if he was the best trainer in the world. And I actually found someone local, um, a, a guy called Ken. And I, I walked in and he said, yeah, this guy walks in. He's, he's 200 pounds, bold head, muscles and tattoos. And he tells me he's going to cycle the world's longest road and break a world record. He said, why would, why would I even question him? So, but why would I, why, <laughs> yeah. you know, why, why would I doubt him? But he, you know, whether he did have his own doubts is fine, but he never, it never came across. And it was his positive attitude and, and things like that. And when I did complete it, he said, look, I knew you would do it, but I didn't realize you'd do it in such the manner that, that you did. But yeah, as you touched on as well, you know, yes, I don't look like a cyclist. So yeah, it was 200 pounds. And, you know, Ken, if he had it his way, you know, he would have me probably as as thin as this pencil um, yeah. on day one, you know, two to three percent body fat and things like that. But what I was sort of taking into this challenge was because of the enormity and, you know, how long it was, it's a bit like selection. Um, so we had to it was all this was like an Arctic exploration. I would be losing weight from the day that I started to the day that I finished. It's not a it's not a sprint. It's not right. a Tour de France where you, you know you've got a couple of weeks so when i start when i started selection and some of the other big courses in the military you you, you don't start 100 fit because you will burn out by week you know week two just, or three i was just um, having so, this conversation about body composition and why you cannot be super lean because yeah. you need you have to you have to plan for that your body is going to eat eat it's going to need fuel and you're not going to eat it you're going to have to yeah. have it on you yeah yeah, yeah, I call it the reserves. Yeah, so it's yeah. you know you have these reserves. You start you start about seventy five, eighty percent fit. You know the first few days are always going to be hard. I think they're hard of whether course. you're whether you're at two to three percent body fat or you're at ten. You know it's always going to be hard. But then at least yeah, yeah. you have something to uh, those reserves. And then as you start progressing, you start eating into that. You do lose weight, yes, of course. Um, but it just gives I've, you. That. I've watched those guys that were super lean and super fit that show up that way. 
they yeah. crash. Yeah. They crash. Yeah. 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 I, I've seen it in the military as well. You know, you see some of these guys and they, they are, they're, 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 they're cut. They look the part and things like that. But when, when you're on operations and your operations, you know, different when you're going out the door at night and coming yeah. back, yeah. when you're on the ground for four or six weeks, you need those reserves. And they, that's when they start crashing and you, yeah. you, you see the difference. So that was my excuse for not, for not dieting anyway. <laughs> uh, was that, but I, but I'm glad I did because I started, I'll have to go back to kilos now, but I started at 90 kilos and yeah. I finished at 78 kilos. So I lost 12 kilos throughout. The, and lot. I, I, and I just couldn't eat enough. I, you know, your body, I was burning between nine and 12,000 calories. Your body can only really consume 7,000 through food. The rest has to come through, through fluids. You yeah. know, so there's little, there's little tricks like putting a, a teaspoon of castor oil in your water bottle is an extra 200 calories. And those all, though, not that I did that, but, you know, there, there are these little top tips that you, you, you could do. But, yeah, I think depending on, on what it is you're doing, you know, if it's a short, task then yeah not a problem you know you can stay cut but for those endurance ones you need mm -hmm. to be looking into them into those reserves so dean first that's awesome second you're the frag frogman now yes. in the states we have you know the seals are called that but you have an interesting you're one you're again you're kind of one of the only individuals that that have this so explain how that came and, and then you being in the special forces, where you came from and, and how that's kind of unique comparatively. Yeah. So yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I, um, I had no aspirations to join the military at all myself. You know, although my father was in the military, my grandparents in the military, I, I grew up in a town called Oldershot, which I could only, which was the home of the British army. So it wasn't, so they were all army. They're all army. So it wasn't okay. uncommon to see guys, Guy, the parachute it was the home of the parachute regiment the red devils yeah. all these guys and so and um but I never really had an aspiration i always wanted to be a fireman um but i went to college but my dad my father used to take us surfing every every summer holiday i i used to love getting in the water and go surfing and so went to college and after a few weeks went surfing for a couple of weeks that two weeks then turned in, into six months and this was this was 94. This was before any mobile phones. So my father then came looking for me six months later and found me working in this surf shop. And he's like, you know, he, he's old school sergeant major, you know, he's a sergeant major, Scotsman. And he's like, basically just gave me a bollocking in the ear. And he's like, you, you've ruined your life. I've only just turned 17 since so you've ruined your life. What are you going to do? You've ruined so your life. You're 17 years old. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I'm 17. I've ruined my life. So to silence him, I was like, well, I'll join the military. And I was expecting uh, a response of like, brilliant. I'll, I'll help you get there. And uh, he told me I would last two minutes, if that. Um, which wasn't the response I wanted, but it was the motivation to sort of prove him wrong. But I was right. at the time, I, 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 I weighed 67 kilos. I was about five foot seven, nothing like the person, as you know, you look totally different yeah. from the day you joined. And he was, and so I went to the careers office. I went in and, and signed up and then my father, I could see, okay. So I, I came out of the careers office and in the careers office in Oldershot, you know, that I was joining the parachute regiment. My father's like, bloody not and he marched me straight back in but my father was in the royal engineers so he mm. still thought right at a push he'll probably do three to five years he needs to get as much as you can from the military you know get rather than you giving your everything get what you can from them and so right so but i wasn't you know he'd never sat down and discussed to me about the 
the orbit of the military, who did what and, and whose roles. Because my father was the army soccer, I'll say right, soccer, not football, the army soccer manager, player and coach. So he was what we would call a tracksuit soldier. So his career was based around his, his sporting abilities. So he wasn't a, a green soldier, as we, as we would say. Yeah, yeah. So, so he never really talked about any of that. And so when he sat down and explained to me, he said, well, look, you've joined the Royal Engineers. You can still go airborne. You can go commando, do the commando course and P company. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's what I did. I then, I then joined the Royal Engineers and never heard of the Royal Marines, never heard of the Special Boat Service. Um, joined the Royal Engineers. I did the commando course because all the commandos were based by the coast, which meant I could go surfing. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so, and I did eight years with uh, Brigade Reconnaissance Force um, for Free Commando Brigade. Um, I, I did a period of time, a year as an instructor on the commando course. Uh, majority of my career was with the Royal Marines and the Green Berets uh, um, back there. I then got promoted to sergeant and I was then the senior diving instructor at the diving school, the military diving school. So I had a real passion and love for the water. But coming from the army, to go tier one special forces, you could only go to the SAS. Um, right. The only guys that were going SBS were the Royal Marines. It was 100%. Right. But the Royal, the SBS were losing candidates because Royal Marines can go to the SAS. So they were losing candidates to the SAS because not everyone likes diving. You know, it's quite alien uh, for some. So it was just at the right time, the SBS decided to open up tri-service. So unlike here with DevGrew and Delta, they have their own separate selection. Ours is the same anyway. So it's not as if it's a different selection. It's still the same selection uh, for six it's months. Just where you, it's just where you go afterwards. Where you go afterwards, yeah. yeah. So, you know, much to the disgust of my friends in the SAS, I was like, well, I'm going <laughs> SBS. And, uh, you know, it, and... You know, they tell you, on, as you know, on selection, you want to try and be the grey man as much as possible. You know, you don't, yeah. don't want to bring any any attention to yourself, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think I was the grey man for about two minutes on a six-month course. It was like, stop, yeah, because it was like... Unfortunately, was I've, I've never been able to... <laughs> I personally was never to be the grey man either. And it, it never really... It was never really good for me, but <laughs> it's just nah. the way it was, yeah. No, but I, I, I you know, I, I knew I wouldn't be the grey man for long anyway, you know, a bit of a character. But yeah, yeah you know, I, I did that um, six months, you know, start with 208 pass uh, six months later. And yeah, became one of the first army candidates to do that. And I think now 15% of the SBS comes from that army pool, which mm. is great. Um, so for me, you know, the, where the frogman sort of came from, my, my mindset for... Well, if I go SAS, because of my diving ability, I'm going to end up in boat troop. If I go to the SBS, they're all divers. Yeah. But it wasn't the fact. You know, you go SBS and they then do their dive course. So they're very new to diving as well. But because of my diving experience in the past, I ended up being the dive rep. And, and any sort of dive task we had within the squadron, I was on it. I wouldn't even go look at the all bat because there was no – we had no um, – no fudge for any failures. We had to get the best team to get on board the target. Yeah. And so I used to get a lot of questions, you know, what's the difference between you, Bear Grylls, Ant Middleton, all these big names. I said, I was the frogman. If there was ever a, do a job, it was always me on that. And, and, and yeah. that's true. You know, whether it was operational or training, you know, you want the strongest team. Whereas for me, I'm like, get the weaker guys in, get them more competent. But we just didn't have... 
flexibility um to do that it was just like no we need to get on board the, the oil rig we need to get on board the ship and so yeah put a strong team so yeah that's where the frogman where you guys use it frogman so we're not called frogmen in the sbs we're called swimmer canoeists right so so the frogman is unique in the uk but here <laughs> everywhere. yeah but for you yeah. dean scott is the frogman Dean Scott is the frog man, but the, 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 the frog, the frog is great because it's very similar to what I carried on in the security. You, you can survive on the, in the water, you can survive on the land. There's even flying frogs. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it does everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. We geeked out over some dive, some dive stuff, some dive tech stuff when we linked up, I was talking about all the different, all the different gear and how you yeah. did what and. That's all I, you know, cause remember I was on a dive team for five years, both in, both in recon and in special operations. Yeah. And yeah, uh, no, just kind of the way it worked out. So it's yeah, a lot, and it, and it's it's different a lot of time in the water. Yeah. That, that, the diving, the SF diving was different from what I was used to. Right? Yeah. In the, so in the Royal Engineers at the dive school, it's basically whatever tools we can use on the surface, we use underwater. So we do concrete and we do breaker and do demolitions. Right. So you're almost like a, very similar to that, the men of honor sort of sketch with the yeah. big, you know, yeah. the big weight kit. Whereas actually, when you're in the special forces, we're more swimmers, but not yeah. divers because you're, you're shallow. You're just yeah. swimming. To that's what. I, that's yeah. what. That's what I did. You know, the old the yeah. navy, the big navy stuff. They do that, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to do that, but I kind of liked what I did. Anyways, yeah. all right. So the book. Let's talk yeah. about the book. Yeah. So the book, so, um, yeah, so the books are relentless. You know, I never, when I finished, uh, my, my bike ride, I never, I never, I didn't really look beyond, I did the bike ride. So I wasn't smuggling people across borders. You know, yeah. I didn't see it as a career in guest speaking or TV or, or all these other things, or even a book. And so I was asked if I would do a book. So the book got launched originally in UK. So th this is the U S version I'm now right. launching. And it covers when did the, when it covers, did the original so, one get lost launched the original one got launched in september 2019 okay but since then me and my family have moved to the u.s we moved over in october 2020 right in the middle of covid we had no perfect real time. plan perfect yeah, time went to, went to mexico city for 14 days and then bounced in um literally eight bags two kids and a wife and we said we'll make it happen just while the world just while the world paused it was a great yeah. move on our side now looking back but when i did arrive you know, People Magazine, which is huge here in the US, they did a four-page special on me and the family. I, I was lucky to go on Jocko's podcast and yeah. and all these all these big exposures. So I reached out to my publisher in UK and I said, "Look, you know, I'm going on these these high-profile um, media events. It'd be good to get some books here." And they just weren't interested because the book had already been out a year. So Jocko got it to number one on Kindle. So my wife being the brains behind the scenes, she got in touch with the, the publishers and was like, well, you haven't launched it in the US yet. We will buy the rights for you. So we bought the rights for North America from them and told them not to sell it here. So what we've done since, because that book cover would never hit the shelves in UK, not with an FN mini me with ammunition around you, around your neck. And so we hey, looked at what it's all, it's with... all good in America. <laughs> that's, that's how you oh, sell books in America. <laughs> exactly. But the, you know, we looked at, you know, what worked with the book in UK and what didn't, you know, so the book in UK was, was a very dark, you know, it's my face and a couple of frogmen coming out and it says from SBS to world record breaker. Yeah. But it doesn't, there was nothing on the book cover to say what world record it was, you know, so you're missing a whole 
community of cyclists, which are huge. Yeah. Um, so 5.11, so I'm a brand ambassador for 5.11. They helped me with the, with the, with the, um, with the book cover. And they said, look, that's your book cover in UK is very typical UK. It's dark. Whereas America is about light and hope. And yeah. so we, we light, we lightened up the, uh, the book cover. We put the, put the bike on the front. We Americanized the book as well. We changed a lot of the grammar, um, you know, changed the S to a Z, um, added a couple of other additional, uh, stories in there, but, in the UK, my book was endorsed by some great explorers. Sir Ranulph Fiennes, who's like a, a legend, the SAS guy, uh, Leveson Wood and Bear Grylls, which you'll know. But here in the US, people don't know those individuals. So we, we changed it. So we got Jocko Willink, Admiral McRaven and Bear Grylls. And so, yeah, it's very much now being geared towards the American community with the same story, which they've not heard yet. So it's almost like a, a second lease of life, um, but more targeted for the uh, American community. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on it, man. Um, no, be- where, where is it? Uh, where's, where's it going to be? So it's going to be, it's going to be on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, most book, book, book online stores that you can get, um, or my website as well. Uh, you can go to there for some of the personalized stuff. Um, so yeah, you, you'll, you'll easily find it, but Amazon being the main one. How do we get signed copies? Through the website, through www.deanstock.com is the that's sign the, one. See, that's find the key. Person. That's the key right there. Get the You're sign. all right. Yours is in the post already. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, people always ask me the same thing. They're like, Hey, where do I, I want to get a signed copy. It's like, we'll just buy it from my website. Then don't go to Amazon. I can't control that. You know, yeah. cause then they'll buy yeah, from yeah. Amazon and then they'll send it to me. Hey, if I send it to you, a sign it. like, yeah, you can, but I, I signed them all going out the door. I'm, I'm, and obviously you do too. But that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cut out, cut out, cut Bezos is, uh, his, his cut out of, of the book. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't do it. Um, no, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so from your, from your, ex- this is like uh, something I liked a couple of things that I want to, I want to ask you. Your, mm. your experience and your perception, and this is general, general questions, but mm. what is based off your experience, like the keys to being successful as, as a man. So like, if I was going to say, Hey, what do I got to do to be successful? Dean, what is, what yeah. are a couple, you know, three concepts that will help someone be successful? Yeah. And I've got two other subjects after that. I think, I think have a plan. You know, have a plan is one, you know, what is it you want to achieve? You know, what is it? What is it you want? You just want to better your life. You want to better your life for your family. Um, So have a plan. Know what you want to do, you know, and it doesn't matter how extravagant that plan is as well. The amount of people tell me, oh, that's not achievable. Like you can't join the SBS. It's achievable. My dad telling me I can't join the military. Achievable. You know, there's no way you can cycle 14,000 miles. It's achievable. Um, So have the plan, um, but also utilize the knowledge out there you know that's that's what i there's a lot of knowledge and strange enough a lot of people are willing to help you know there are experts out there so surround yourself you know with the with the team you know the man the successful people out there aren't actually that good at their job they've just got a great team around them you right. know what i mean right me being one me being one as well <laughs> you know what i mean so it's you know have a plan find the right team uh, around you and then believe that it's achievable you know, because it starts with you. If you don't believe it's going to be successful, then it's not going to be successful. Um, I, tell, I tell people that all the time. It's like I, I, the big, the biggest thing that I can equate it to is like sports. 
you're stepping yeah. on a field and you don't think that you can win or you think the other team's better than you, then you've already lost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you've lost the, the mind game from the start. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's achievable. It's just like, and also don't think that as well, you know, showcase that as well. You know, um, negativity is contagious, but so is positivity. Um, so if you're positive, then your team will see that in you as well. And then and you'll get the same same response from them if you if you go in with a negative attitude how do you expect them to you know look up to you so yeah have that belief right team and have a plan excellent um you do a lot of challenges you do a lot of hard things is it important for men to do and i ask everybody this why why do you do these challenges why do you do why <clears throat> after everything you've done in your life like you've you have not, nothing to prove to anyone anymore. You've you've proven yeah. it. You're a tough guy. Why do you continue to do hard things and put yourself in these positions? That's for me to keep myself physically and mentally engaged. You know, as I say, I think everyone has to have everyone has to have something to to do as a, as in a, as in a physical objective. Um, I'm not saying go cycle 14,000 miles. That's ludicrous. But even if you just train to do a 5k walk, you know, I mean, you have to have something that you're aiming for. Cause if you don't, the great analogy is if the body is like a, a, a running, a running river. It mm. needs to keep flowing. It needs to keep moving. Um, as soon as it, it's still stagnant ponds, you know, infection, disease. So it needs to keep moving. You know, for me, it's controlling the flow of the river. Sometimes the river is so fast. Uh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a fast river as long as it, it's, it's, it's moving. So that's why I think it's important for men is they, especially the physical activity. My wife sees it all the time. She knows if I'm a grumpy sod that I need to go out and go for on the bike. Yeah, or just go to the gym, just go do something, you know. So so I think we need that. And, and it's also something that's yours as well, which is, you know, away from your family. You know, your time with your family is good, but you also need to find time for your, yourself. That's why running and cycling are good because I'm a daydreamer, actually. When I'm on the bike, I have some great ideas. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just there on notes. <laughs> you know, so for me, it's just that, it's just me on, on my own. But I think everyone needs to have something. But like I said, it's up to you how big that challenge is. The problem I've got is I've set the bar so high that I need to then find something even bigger. So... Um, which is difficult. Well, I mean, and get it and I, get it cleared through the misses. Yeah. yeah, I think that, uh, and it doesn't have to. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it has to be big, always, mm. and especially no. as you age, it's just the point of ha doing something like you said. It's that, yeah. and that was a that was a beautiful analogy of the stagnant stagnant pond, because that's mm. what happens. You get yeah. stagnant, you get depressed, you get overweight like things start to suffer. You get complacent in one thing. It turns into complacency in a lot of things. Um, so that's a, that's a brilliant analogy. All right. The last thing is, the last thing is what is it? What do you do? Cause you've, you know, you've been deployed a lot. You've been all overseas a lot. You, now you've got three kids. Um, what do you do to really be a good, a great, not just good, a really great father. Like what can men, what do men need to be doing to be a great father? I think um, the first one is to be there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's easier said than easier said than done. You know, I sort of me and my wife talk about this quite often. Is like I look at. I think we always learn from our parents and and their parents and, yeah. and what they did, and, and just take away what was good and what what was bad. You know, we're in a different world completely 
um, from them. You know, for me, I, I still talk about my father telling me I'd last two minutes. You know, words are powerful. You know, yeah. I mean, the fact I'm talking about that, uh, and I, even though I proved him wrong, is that I will always be conscious in in what I say to my children and how it may it may affect them. Um, but I, me and my wife were chatting about this the other day. Like my my father, I, for me, I always, you know, he 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 was old school, old school uh, guy. But I never felt I wasn't protected, you know, from him. Yeah. And so for me, there's there's certain things. I can't do. I can't relate to my daughter on certain things that my wife can do. But as long as she knows that I'm, I'm always there. But I think the key one for me is, is, is having in an ear. Um, you know, they're your biggest peers. When people say who who do you look up to in life, it was always my father. You know what I mean? So I just hope my children say that. And but like I know a good friend of mine back in London. His father was a, a pastor, and he had to he had to book in. A, a meeting each week to see his father you know for an hour mm. and you look at him now with his children i'd never known anyone so loving to his kids letting them know every opportunity how much he loves them but he's obviously learned that from what he didn't want from his father you know what i mean um so <laughs> i think there is no right way there is no wrong way but for me as long as they know that they they can come to me and, and feel protected that, that i feel like i've done my job I, i'm probably not the most loving <laughs> as, as, as some guys and my wife you know my son my my children my wife like she she tells me off all the time when my kids fall over or hurt themselves or do something before yeah i'm the same way. i don't go i yeah i don't go in and give them the color i i ask him i said oh so what's the lessons learned then yeah you know so like what, what, that's what i say i had a two-year-old he falls down I'm like what did we learn <laughs> yeah yeah my wife's like just give them a cuddle yeah. but it's actually it's actually backfired on me now I, the other day i walked by and i stumped my toe and my daughter's out so what are the lessons we learned <laughs> but I, I thought it was brilliant you know what i mean but it is it's like yeah I, I should probably show them that a bit more affection but the fact that they just feel protected then i've then i feel i've done enough good Good. Well, man. Um, yeah, it was good catching up and, uh, guys go, go grab that book. Um, and then I'll put it in the notes, but I'll put the link below in the notes. Dean, where can people engage with you? Where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, um, I've popped my head above the parapet. I'm now on social media. So I'm on the Instagram, Facebooks and, uh, slowly coming back onto Twitter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can get me on all the normal handles at, at deans.sbs. Excellent, brother. All right, man. Well, you guys go check him out. Uh, Dean, thanks for thanks for sharing some of these stories with us and uh, some of your insights of what you learned. And uh, you guys, if uh, if this thing helped you, which I imagine it did, because it, it's what we do. Uh, screenshot this tag, both of us tag Dean tag myself tag the podcast. We'll share it out. And uh, other than that, go go buy Dean's book. Go buy, go buy the Frogman's book. He's living in the U.S. now, so go go support. Go support. Uh, you guys know the deal. Never quit. Never surrender. Always forward. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nick. Appreciate it.